Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and the insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you could identify your unique calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. This week is all about the exciting, diverse field of engineering. And in this episode, my friend Hannah Wesso shares all about her passion for ocean engineering in particular. Hannah totally opened my eyes to how vital and fascinating this lesser known specialty of engineering really is. And you'll get the joy of hearing Hannah talk about what ocean engineering is and how she realized she was destined for this field from a young age. There's so much to love in this episode, but one thing in particular was that Hannah shared some really impactful advice on how to go about navigating the countless options within engineering to find the perfect specialty for you. So if you're a student or someone who is looking to make a career pivot into engineering of any kind, which is possible in some cases without going back to school for another bachelor's degree, by the way, You have got to listen to Hannah's advice on how to find a discipline that will fit your personality, preferences, and talents like a glove. I know you'll love hearing Hannah's excitement and gusto for her field, but before we dive in, I have one tiny favor to ask. No matter if you're new here or a longtime listener, I'd love your help. Would you mind simply tapping the stars on Apple Podcasts to rate the show? It's only one little tiny click, but it actually helps a lot. It's a super quick win for you if you're a listener who wants to support the show in a tiny but mighty way. Thank you so much to those of you who have already left a rating and review and shared the show and tagged me on Instagram stories. Your help means so much to me. Okay, now let's dive into this conversation with Hannah Wessa. Hannah, my friend, the passionate ocean engineer. I am so excited to have you talk (laughs) about your field because I know you're excited and I am. That just gets me. All right. First, thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. I love that I get to do this. I really do love ocean engineering and all things maritime industry related. So let's get into this. (laughs) Folks, do you hear that passion? This is what we all aspire to, (laughs) truly. (laughs) So tell us a little bit, just to kick off, about what your position is. So right now, I work for Manson Construction Company. My current title is Quality Control Engineer, but I've served in a number of roles at Manson. We are a dredging and marine construction contractor. I've worked all over the country. I've done most of the types of projects that we do, and it's a really fun job. Let me tell you, it's a really fun job. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm chomping at the bit to ask you about all the details of what makes it so fun. We will definitely have plenty of airtime for that, but before I go into all that, what 
argue all about like Hannah in a nutshell. <laughs> and then also, what's a career dream of yours, big or small? Mm, in a nutshell, my nutshell is Jesus, people, ocean. <gasps> Jesus first, people next, and then ocean is my my first passion after those two things. So those are my three passions. And I, I really think that this job has let me envelop all of my life into those three things. That's been with traveling and, and with getting to meet a bunch of different churches with this job. And, you know, I'm here working in Port Arthur, Texas right now. I wasn't living in Port Arthur, Texas until very recently, but I moved down here because I love my church down here. And I got really involved with, I'm on the board for our Night to Shine Southeast Texas event, which yes. is, uh, it's like a prom for people with special needs through the Tim Tebow Foundation. And it's just been so awesome. So I, uh, I work, I do that. I, I love those three things. And uh, that's really what I'm about. And oh, uh, as far as my, uh, you asked, uh, I, I'll, I'll stay on the questions. So I will stay on the questions. You're, um, look at you being more professional <laughs> than me, like staying on track. That's amazing. All right, here we no, go. Get to it. That career yeah, dream so question. My career dream is, is really just to be able to continue moving in, you know, leaning into those three things. And so I would really like to uh, move into positions where I get to manage people while also continuing in this engin ocean engineering field and realm. So I really like training people. I like the idea of getting to hire people, finding the right people for the right job, building the best team, because it's better to have the best team than to be the best. So I really want to move into those kinds of positions and um, move into those kinds of management positions within, within Manson. I think this is a great company. I love working for it. I've been with this company in some capacity for seven years, but I met mm. them when I was 18 what? and really just, yeah, this is just where I was headed the whole time. <laughs> so you really knew before I really going knew. into college. Oh that... yeah. What? Yes. That's so rare. I mean, it really I would is. be impressed if you even knew what general field with some level of confidence you wanted to go into, but you're you know, like, no, I got my company, my position, I'm mm -hmm, ready. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so I met Manson like my freshman year of college, but let me tell you, I love telling this story. It's, <laughs> uh, it's how I became who I am really, but <laughs> oh, this I, is amazing. I, I've always, I've pretty much always known I wanted to be an engineer. My dad's a mechanical engineer. He's worked for the Department of Defense for his whole career as a civilian, but he's done a lot of really great design work. And so I had his influence in my life and we would play with, we would build blocks together and, and play Legos together. And so I had he was his training influence. You, he was. You from a young age. <laughs> I was. I was basically a living, breathing Dilbert cartoon. So I don't think anyone <laughs> had a question of who I was going to grow up to be. And my mom, being an educator, she's a speech and language pathologist and uh, has worked in the schools for her whole career. And she's just a really wonderful educator. She recognized very early on that I was this living, breathing Dilbert cartoon. I had the knack. I loved taking things apart and putting them together. I was good at math. And so she was always looking for opportunities to expose me to anything like 
uh, something I think about often is, you know, I love, I like SpongeBob growing up. I watched SpongeBob and the narrator on SpongeBob has a French accent. She was like, you know, that he probably has a French accent to reference Jacques Cousteau. Do you know who Jacques Cousteau is? He's a marine yeah. biologist. Do you know what marine biology is? <laughs> How about we watch a documentary about it? Come sit. And so that was my mom growing up. So she was just happy and willing and always looking for ways to expose me and my brother to everything under the sun so that we had options so that we knew we could we had the ability to know what we wanted and that's something that I love about this job library is that that's exactly a tool that's you know you're giving people a tool to do that with great detail so much yeah so I knew about these things when I was in fourth grade I wrote a paper what do you want I had to do what do you want to be when you grow up paper and I said, I either want to be a marine biologist or some sort of structural engineer. <laughs> I mean, I was 10. So, you know, in eighth grade, we had this little joke. I guess it was a joke. I don't know. In yearbook class, one of our friends was going to be president. And we were all going to be in her cabinet, you know, just very typical 14-year-old things to talk about and imagine. And I said, I remember saying that I wanted to create my own position and be secretary of the coast. And I would just go around to America's beaches and see how they're doing. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. really it was like a, it was a lazy thing. Like I just wanted to hang out on the beach and get paid for it. But I kind mm. of do that now. It's, that's, that's an important part of my story because wow. like, I think it was my first, sometime in my first year of working full time, I was driving to work and I realized that that's very much what I'm doing. And just, just as a quick aside to that story, that girl in your book class who was going to be president, mm. that was Bindu Thoda, who no, you interviewed. Bindu. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> who is wow. apparently That's... third most popular, third most streamed on this podcast. Or, exactly. Or previous most series. So epic woman we know. Yeah. I, uh, and has been me... for forever. So clearly, because we were like, she's going to be president one. someday. <laughs> yeah, I think she rolled out of the womb a baller. But um... yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I'm a little yeah. stunned. How <laughs> so small that's, the world is. you know, it really is. So that was, and and all of these things were kind of building up, you know, to me being who I am. And I just didn't know how I was actually going to get where I wanted to go, until my dad came home from work one day. I think I was I was a junior in high school, and he said, "Hannah, I know what you're going to do when you for the rest of your life." And I was like, Whoa. "What, Dad?" And he said. <laughs> I met an ocean engineer today and he didn't need to say anything else. I knew that was what I was going to do. My mom knew it was, it was what I was going to do. That was it. I was sold. And so it just took finding the right school, which this may surprise you, but there are not that many schools that offer ocean engineering, which is why you probably haven't heard of it if you're listening to this podcast and even fewer that offer it as an undergrad degree program. But just as some options. There's like University of Washington, University of California, San Diego. I think Virginia Tech has it as an undergrad. I know they have a graduate program. University of Rhode Island, FIT, FIU over in Florida, and where I landed at Texas A&M. I wish you had a longer pause just to have the audience like autofill what you were going to say. <laughs> like drum roll. Yes. Just wild, wild guess, like out of nowhere. Texas A&M University. Texas A&M University. I really need to get them to sponsor this podcast. Because Seriously. I feel like I am We're a sending out so many great students. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to listen to this. They're going to be focused. They're going to know what they right. want to do. They're going to start and finish where they started. It's going to be great. Come on, exactly. A&M. Come on. Listen up. Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you studied ocean engineering. Mm-hmm. When I did, did you graduate? I grad. So I started 2011, graduated December of 2015, degree in ocean engineering, minor in oceanography, because I just couldn't resist it. Could not resist. <laughs> Could not resist. Those were my favorite classes. They were kind of like a break from the intensity of engineering classes with all the, the homework like writing and homework and math problems of engineering homework and I just got to study the ocean so I loved those classes so I got my minor A&M such a cool place to go for ocean engineering too and I was on main campus and I don't know if you know this Kelsey but there are some really cool facilities over on west campus did you know that there's a 55 foot deep pool under one of the a wave pool under one of the unassuming brown buildings on west campus wait Excuse me? Yes. I feel like they're... <laughs> I'm not Are lying. you talking about Wayner, like the business school? I feel oh, like there's no. some like deep river underneath it. There, we there's, so there's uh, a testing facility called the Offshore Technology Research Center. What? And it has a 55-foot deep tank and a wave, wave action uh, paddles that what? they can do. They can model offshore conditions. And so they'll test ships and test offshore platforms there, mooring systems. It's really cool. I've gotten to go diving in there. We tested our submarine in there. It was awesome. I also worked at the Haynes Coastal Engineering Lab, which was also the Center for Dredging Studies. Oh. Hang on to that word, dredging. Dredging. I worked, we, bookmark. <laughs> bookmark. <laughs> I worked there. That was kind of like our shallow water wave tank. And I I really enjoyed that job with Dr. Randall. And then there's also a freezer full of dirt. It's so cool. <laughs> okay. That's, it, I was so captivated this whole time and you just lost me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll freezer get you back again. Okay. It's, it's so cool. You got it. I mean, you just got to get on the dirt game. Dirt's awesome. All right. There's, okay. There are three. It's with the International Ocean Discovery Program. And I got to work with them for a summer. And there are three freezers around the world. One in Japan, one in Germany, and one at Texas A&M. And there's, it's full of sediment cores. So the IODP took a, a drill ship, which usually does offshore drilling for oil, the oil industry. They converted it to be able to extract very delicately these cores of sediment from the ocean floor from around the world. And so that's how we actually study ice ages and, and climate change and all of that. So that's just some opportunities okay. that you know. You've got me back. You've got me back. I'm <laughs> I a, thought I might. I thought I might. <laughs> I'm an environmental conservation mm-hmm. type of person. Yeah. So... Like, so that's so that's a and and that's that's the kind of stuff that drew me there. I got there, and even when I started, we kind of break up ocean engineering into really three categories. There's offshore, subsea, and coastal. And starting out, I pretty much knew I wanted to go the coastal route. I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep my options open. I'll go wherever I think I need to, or you know, I'm not gonna put my foot down on this now and get blinders on but that's where I ended up going and like I said Manson when I was 18 I went to a career fair as a freshman didn't take a resume put on a dress that was like I I thought was the most professional thing that I had in my closet (laughs) and I went and my goal it's just I did that was what happened and I went over to Reed Arena our basketball arena and my my whole thought process was with this was that I didn't want to become a junior or a senior and go to career fair for the first time when I'm you know, really needing an internship or a job. I was just, I, when, a, when a career fair is in a basketball arena, it's kind of intimidating. So I would rather be intimidated as a freshman 
than as a junior or a senior. So well, I went now as a freshman. That is some foresight. That really. yeah. And I and while I didn't have a resume, like I said, I wasn't planning on talking to anyone. I thought maybe I'll maybe I'll talk to someone. Maybe, but probably not because I was I was really scared and I didn't like talking to people. So <laughs> I it's like probably not. But I did end up talking to, uh, well, I walked past this booth and it didn't list that they were hiring ocean engineers, but there were ships and barges on their posters. And I was like, they probably just don't know that they need ocean engineers. So Again, I walked past the attitudes. <laughs> you need oh, me. You need me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I walked past it a couple of times and I, I just, I, I was like, okay, if I walk past again, and the recruiter is not talking to anyone. I'm going to talk to her. Okay, okay, okay. And so I walked past again, and no one was talking to her. I was like, I have to do this. I made a promise to myself. So I went up and talked to her. We ended up talking for like 15 minutes, and it was Manson Construction, and she was describing the job, and um, she was like, yeah, we do dredging. We're hiring for dredging positions, and she kept saying, "This is now. This is a hundred percent travel. This is one hundred percent travel." And I kept thinking, "Why is she saying that? Like it's a bad thing." <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, some people think that's a bad thing, but I did not, and I I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. So, I knew from then I was like, "Yeah, I I would really like to work for this company." I ended up doing two internships with them. Um, they wouldn't hire freshmen, so I had to wait a year. But I did summer of thirteen and summer of fourteen which was after my sophomore and junior year, I did internships. After my senior year, before my, I took that extra semester, that's when I worked at the Coastal Lab and the IODP. But yeah, I, I loved it. I worked on a really tough project. My first internship, we were down in Golden Meadow, Louisiana, rebuilding a levee. And it was in the middle of nowhere. It was hot. The mud was stinky. And I still loved every day of work. And I was like, you know what? If I can be in one of the worst situations that an en a field engineer would be put in, and I can still love every day of work, this is probably a good path for me. What do you love so much about it? Like both the work itself and then also this love of the coast and the ocean mm -hmm. that's so clearly captivated your heart from a young age. Yeah. I <laughs> I think it might, the ocean love may have been born out of uh, <laughs> a lack of access to it, just because I grew up in North Texas. I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, and there's no ocean there. There's hardly water there ever. So we, we would go down to um, South Padre a lot growing up. My dad's from El Salvador, so he grew up going to the beach. My mom's from South Texas, so she grew up near the coast. So we as a family really do love the ocean and love going to the beach, being in it. Like I said, my mom would teach me about Jacques Cousteau. And when we were at the beach, if I was ever afraid, it was like, no, we're, we can be in the ocean and not be afraid. The sharks aren't going to bite you. You know, just very normal kid fears yeah. of, no, there's going to be a shark or a jellyfish. It's like, yeah, there are. And <laughs> you can go into the ocean and not be bit or stung. And if you are, we'll figure it out. But you're probably oh not God. going to be <laughs> and we she would always have the vinegar and meat tenderizer for the jellyfish thing so we were even funny. prepared for the jellyfish thing but it was just a, a family love for the beach and the ocean I think as I've gotten older I've put words to it of you know we cannot control the ocean or water 
but we can be a part of it. I think surfing is a great metaphor for that. You can't control the waves, but you can ride them and you can be a part of it and you can learn how to work with it. And doing ocean engineering, that's exactly our job is learning how to, you know, help human thriving in the ocean with the ocean um, and making sure that those are, are, you know, the infrastructure that we have interacts with the water well. So I, I enjoyed all of these concepts, but actually doing the work, I mean, I'm on, especially doing dredging. I was on a boat every day. We um, opened the bookmark dredging. Dredging. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I spent, that's what I did for my first two internships was, was dredging and then for my first two and a half years full time on the water, on the beach every day, in and out of offices or, or what have you. And we can now, we can now dive into what dredging is because, <laughs> okay, <great. laughs> uh, because people listening to this probably have no idea. Most people I've met really don't know. There is, I think there is one I think there's exactly one pop culture reference to dredging, and it is, uh, I think it's Goss, one, one Tree Hill maybe, or Gossip Girl. One of the girl's dads is gone all the time, and it's because he's a dredge captain. So there's oh. your one pop culture oh, reference for dredging. <laughs> so dredging is basically taking material, dirt, from one place to another, but in a marine setting. And anytime you do something in the water, it's harder. So what that accomplishes is keeping ship channels deep enough so that ships can come and go. It's rebuilding beaches, doing beach nourishment projects. It's building levees uh, for flood protection against hurricanes and protecting property and people's homes and people's lives. Um, it's rebuilding marshes. So it, it's really very simplified. You're moving dirt. But it's very complex because you're moving dirt that's 50 feet below this water surface yeah. and you have to take it and put it somewhere else. And so there are various ways to do that. We the three main types of dredges is a, a cutter, a hopper, and a clamshell. So clamshell is basically like a giant claw game with a bucket <laughs> and you, you're on a, you have a crane with a bucket and it drops down the bucket, bites off some, uh, some material and moves it and usually puts it in a scow, uh, which is a barge with a, a hole, and that then a tug will push that barge and it will open up. Usually they split in half or sometimes you'll pump it out. So it splits in half and dumps the material somewhere where just it's really deep. Out. And, yeah, <laughs> there you just, go. Yeah, it's, and actually a hopper, we have hopper dredges that are old scows, which again is that, that barge with a deep belly, essentially. And a hopper dredge has these giant vacuum arms that you draw, you sail the dredge through the ship channel and it vacuums up the sand into the belly of the hopper dredge. And then you sail out to a dump site and you're the ship that you're, it's really, it's a very strange thing to be a part of the first time you, you experience it. But the ship that you're on splits in half. <laughs> it literally splits, <laughs> literally splits in half down the center long ways, like hot dog style, opens up and dumps the material. What? So it's a pretty freaky thing. And that's, I mean, there's so much stability issues that go into that and, and engineering that goes into that alone. But that's what dredging is. That's a huge part of coastal engineering. Of course, sometimes we're pumping that sand that we take onto a beach 
and uh, dozers are smoothing it out and building that beach. Um, we also have the, the cutter dredges, which is like a, it has like a giant, a cutter head, which is like a giant drill bit that just spins and scoops up sand. And then that, that drill bit is attached to a pipe and it sucks it and pumps it somewhere else. Um, so those are really the main three types of dredging. And that's, that's what I've done. I've also, right now I'm on a construction project. I switched over to our marine construction heavy civil department and we're actually expanding the port of Port Arthur, so giving them 600 more feet of wharf space. That includes pile driving and concrete pouring and installing uh, these steel rods called tie rods that hold walls together to make sure that they can accept these forces of the ships being tied up to the stock. So that's really kind of coastal engineering. That's what I love. That's what I got into. There's also the offshore aspect of ocean engineering, which is like offshore platforms. I kind of lump naval architecture, which is ship design into the offshore realm. And ship design is huge. I mean, you have to be able to go to a naval architect and say, I need to carry all this liquid natural gas or all these containers. Can you design something that's going to float? <laughs> and uh, as Panamax gets, as the Panamax in ship size increases, these ships are getting bigger and more complex. So that's a really interesting part of the industry it just wasn't for me and then there's the subsea which I also think is really cool you and whenever you have these floating platforms offshore whether that's a platform you know we're doing offshore wind farms now you have these mooring systems that uh, hold these structures in place and uh, that can be in thousands of feet of water so you have an anchor down thousands of feet and then you have essentially rope, but it's very special rope going up to these, these small cities <laughs> on these platforms. And Whoa. then you have wellheads and you have remote operated vehicles, these little robots that go down and actually do maintenance on everything that's on the seafloor. What? And videos it. And it, yeah. And so you have people designing that. That's a really, that's a really cool industry. If I weren't in coastal, that's what I wanted to do was that kind of ro subsea robotics type stuff. AUVs, autonomous underwater vehicles, those are very much used for uh, research. You just kind of send them on their way and they go through the ocean and collect data. So those are really the, the areas of, of ocean engineering. I think it's so cool. And then, uh, and just of course, you can go into research, you can go into design, or you can go into construction. And I chose construction because I like actually seeing things happen. <laughs> like the block builder in you as a little girl. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I was destined to do this. It's like all of the elements of your career decisions aligned so closely. Mm -hmm. Almost, it just seems exactly with what you exactly. were in love with as a kid. The yeah. building construction, the coastal, mm -hmm. the, <laughs> you even have a little micro passion for dirt in there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> this is so cool. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to get out of analysis paralysis and into a job that will be an exciting and rewarding fit for your unique talents, values, and interests, which by the way, I'm here to help you do just that in record time. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp, 
a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can all be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program, so you could have me by your side, confidently walking you through each step of a career transition from start to finish. From discerning God's will for your life and what path you're truly called to take, to finding the exact job title that actually aligns with that, then getting hired for that position with confidence and speed, I'm here to be your personal career coach from start to finish. My signature two-month private career coaching program includes seven weekly coaching sessions with me, access to the library of guides and workbooks I've created to clearly guide your transition, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail down every single step of the practicals like your networking strategy and messaging and your resume and interviews and negotiations. I'll help you save a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications so you could land the job you're called to faster than you thought possible. Seriously, it could be on the other side of just two months. If all that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. To take the first step, go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit for you. I only work with people who are ready to go deep do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to get started. I'll talk to you soon. Now back to the episode. Here's another thing that I really want to ask you about because you in college had a lot. Well, okay. We were both in Christian organizations. Mm -hmm. I was in Christian business leaders. You were in the sister organization, Christian engineering leaders. And you being a leader in that and just Mm -hmm. a natural, like friendly spirit mentored Mm -hmm. a lot of younger budding engineers Mm -hmm. and helping them make the big decision of there are billions of specialties it seems like in engineering how do I choose a major and -hmm. then a specialty within that so I would love your more general advice for what you gave of course people who wanted to be confident in choosing a specialty or a Mm -hmm. major within engineering you know it's more about finding uh, the industry that you want to go into so if you think about ships and you're like that's really cool I want to do that then you find your path to do that. I found ocean engineering. If you want to, if you think space exploration is the coolest thing and you will do anything to get into that industry, you can be a lot of different types of engineer and be in the space industry. So maybe if you enjoy 
like the structural aspect of something, you would become a civil engineer who then works in the space industry. If you like moving parts, you would become a mechanical engineer who works in the space industry. And then there are things like, I have a friend who did a, a degree called MMET, uh, I'm gonna get, I hope I get this right, Manufacturing and Mechanical Engineering Technology. And there's a lot of material science involved in that. And she, her goal was to be in the space industry and be, be in the aerospace industry, and she is now. And, but she really focused on that material science aspect because that is huge in designing things that are going to go into outer space. They're going to resist going through our atmosphere and all of that. So I would say look at the industry that, or the realm of society that you want to end up in and then just kind of test out what, you know, look at the classes that you would take. Look at, you know, if, some, if building a structure is what interests you, civil, if building, you know, like I said, those moving parts, mechanical. Chem, there's chemical engineers uh, and if you, if you took a, a chemistry class in, in high school and you want to learn how to best use the chemicals that we have to produce the things that we need, then look at chemical engineering electrical this is kind of if you're kind of you don't need if you don't need a physical thing in front of you and you can picture things really easily electrical is great because i don't know about you kelsey but i have never seen an electron and i, I have not either i've been looking yeah, for one my whole life and you it, know, they just elude me every time every, every time, time. Just, but those electrical <laughs> engineers know so much about them and it blows my mind so, and, and if you love computers, you know, there are people who have to design that. Something that I think about a lot is if someone came up to me with just, you know, you can buy a hammer at any store. And if they came up to me with just a normal store-bought hammer, cheap, and said, Hannah, can you make one of these for me? I'd be like, no. I, <laughs> no. I cannot, actually. <laughs> So everything that you use, everything that you touch, everything that you do, someone had to make it. Someone had to come up with the idea and then make it. So if you know what you want to make, if you know what you want to design and build, that can really inform what path you choose to get there. And for anyone who's interested in engineering, it's a lot more about problem solving. So you don't have to be a math genius to do engineering. You have to be competent in math, but you don't have to be, you know, just like on the mathletes or something. You, you just need to be able to do it. And there, there are types of engineering that don't go all the way through, um, through differential equations. Some only go to Cal 3. Uh, some like, in, I think industrial engineering might do that, or maybe industrial distribution, which is an engineering college at A&M at least, but you have to be competent in it. But what's really important is that you be a problem solver because that's really what we're doing every day is problem solving. In what way? Because this is actually yesterday I was interviewing your friend Zachary Slater hey. about his career in software engineering. Mm -hmm. And he actually, like many people in almost any sort of profession, said, mm -hmm. you know what would make a good fit for a software engineer is someone who enjoys solving problems. Mm -hmm. But I said customer service agents could say the exact same that's, thing that's very true so that's what very do you true. really what type of problems and yeah, what is, what's the detail 
I, I was thinking about this uh, recently, actually, is like, because I, I think I've heard on your podcast that people are like, oh, we problem solve. And yeah, really, that's kind of what makes us thrive as people. There's a problem and we, we find a solution yeah. and then we feel, you know, that sense of accomplishment. So the way that an engineer problem solves or the way that an engineer thinks is, I just think it's exemplified in this story. My friend did... That did, was an organizer of an event at AM, the Go Missions Conference, actually with Breakaway. And one of her tasks was afterwards, she read through all of the, uh, the reviews, the surveys about what people thought and if it was good or not, what improvements they could make. And she, she told me that, like, a, the average person, if it said, Was this a good presenter? would say, Yes, for all of these reasons, or No, for all of these reasons. But the engineers would write, well, that depends on what you mean by good. Do you, if you mean it was a good oh, speaker, then yeah, it was an okay speaker. But, you know, or if you mean, uh, was the information relevant to me? No, it wasn't. Or, but do I think that the information might be relevant to other people? Yeah, I think other people would get something out of it. I just didn't get a whole lot out of it. And it's so like that, so objective. I am also dying over here because I just keep on having Bill Clinton ring in my ears like, it depends on what your definition of it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer in every engineering course you take if there's a question you answer well that depends because oh it gosh. does depend it depends on every problem for that an engineer faces you have to be able to think about the problems that your first step are gonna I mean of course this is true with any problem solving but if I design it like this can I actually install that um, that's huge. So you have to think all the way down the line from conception of you know, what you need to accomplish to actually installing the product. I mean, we have these massive derrick barges that we have to use to install the piles to create this wharf deck that we're building right now. And what if there, when, I mean, this was a huge lesson that I learned with my capstone uh, my senior capstone project was you can't think about installation until the end of the project. You have to think about that in the early design phases because there might not be a vessel that can do what you want to do. And so the engineer's problem solving is very much about the physical realm. It's very cause and effect in a physical way. And, but being able to ha have that spatial awareness ahead of time to actually accomplish that and the, and like I'm sure with Zachary that with programming and really all engineers are going to have to know some programming moving forward just at the speed with which uh, technology is being incorporated into every realm of society that's going into even construction which is kind of which often seems like the most straightforward thing there are methods that haven't changed for a really long time but if you can program your tracking or you program your, your quality control system, you've now streamlined things. So really every engineer is going to need to know some programming and with program problem solving, it's very tedious. It's very yes. tedious. You might miss line a period. By line. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just that being able to conceptualize where you're going and how you're going to get there and the problems that will, you'll face and then the problems that you'll create based on the choices that you make as before you ever get there. So yes. that's really an engineer. Oh. 
thank you for breaking that down because just as you said, every we're made actually to enjoy problem solving. It yes. doesn't matter if you are an HR professional that just loves working out some beef between people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or just within engineering. And of course, to your great point about focus on what do you want to build? What industry do you want to be a part of? And then what's your functionality within that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a part of the problem solving that any engineer is going to be a part of though, generally is going to be much more detailed, potentially more end to end, like look through every step of the process and make sure it's going to work. And especially what you said about the spatial intelligence mm-hmm. seems to be such a, something that's correlated with engineering, like in terms of the intelligent types of intelligence, you know, I should do an episode about types of intelligence. That would be really cool. Um, That need to be applicable for each type Mm -hmm. of career. Spatial is a huge one for you guys. You have to do so much figuring parts out in your head, Mm -hmm. (laughs) processes, whatever it is. And like any, you know, with that HR specialist who's solving a problem, their skill is going to be those, those interpersonal, interpersonal awareness. Yeah. You can be a great engineer and not have great personal skills. I'm just going to be honest. You can be really good at your job and not, not be a great speaker or not be a great communicator. I would always, like when, it, we, when I would give tours to uh, high school students, prospective students at A&M, I would always have, uh, it was, you know, either the ambitious student or the teacher or a parent say, what does our, it was usually a parent, if I'm honest, <laughs> what do our kids need to focus on? Does it need to, if they want to be an ocean engineer, is it math? Is it the science classes? And I was like, honestly, if you're thinking about going into engineering, you're probably already pretty good at that. So just keep being good at that. But if you really want to be great and you want to do, if you want to be successful, you really do need to focus on your communication skills because you can have the best idea in your head, but if you can't either draw it or speak it, it's worthless. Unless you can accomplish it yourself, which that's so inefficient and inefficiency is the enemy of the engineer. So you need to be efficient to be able to communicate it because it's, I mean, it's key. And no, you don't have to be the best ever, but you need to be able to have those tools to communicate it to your client and sometimes your client might not be an engineer or some of the people that you're talking to are not engineers. And so you kind of have to describe it on a not technical level, give those broader viewpoints or at least be able to draw it. Like I'm not great at drawing, but I have better verbal skills because my mom was an SLP and she made sure <laughs> yeah. that her kids could communicate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so if you can't do that and those ideas are stuck in your head, uh, you're not going to be able to go anywhere, and and you're we're gonna we're not going to get to know those great ideas. They're not going to be able to move into society and help people. So, you know, those things are are essential to to being a really great engineer. But of course, that's not the main part of your job. Um, you mm-hmm. can't be an engineer without that spatial awareness, really. Yes, goodness, so fascinating, and I love your. <laughs> like kind of informal expertise in helping people navigate like I wonder how many <laughs> students you actually mentored into choosing their majors and all dozens dozens, dozens. <laughs> yes. that's amazing we have gotten to explore so much about all the things there is to love and specifically what you love about your mm-hmm. fields what if anything is a little more challenging or 
glamorous about the job. Yeah, it's uh, I, usually the the best things are also the worst things because they're, they're the things that you have to sacrifice most to get, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was talking to that recruiter when I was 18, and I was like, how could that 100% travel ever be a bad thing? And just a glimpse into our schedule at Manson, um, we, I, I think this is a great schedule, but a field engineer uh, which is kind of like you start out as a field engineer. I was a field engineer until last year, and then I was moved to lead, and then now quality control engineer on my project. But you work for 19 days every day for 19 days, and then you get nine days off. So I loved that schedule. You would go to it's way better than what we used to have, which was 28 days on and 14 days off. You'd like forget that That's you had a so home intense. and then you would forget that you had a job. So this 19 and nine is a really great compromise because you get two weekends off and then the weekdays in between, I would like always go to my doctor's appointments or you know, whatever, but that's intense. It's hard on relationships. You can get homesick. You're li- a lot of times we were living in hotels because especially dredging projects are really short. Like I'm, I'm on a construction project right now that's been going for over two years. And so I've been in one place for a while, which is what has allowed me to invest more in my community here. But before I was like, I would go to a church for three Wednesdays and a Sunday, maybe. And that was as much as I could invest in my community. Um, And then I would go home and of course people have lived three weeks and I've, you know, just been away and I come back. But that was also great. I I love that lifestyle. I, uh, I'm not on the 19 and nine anymore and I kind of miss it because I'm very much a sprinter. I like to just go, 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 go. And then, okay, I'm going to rest for a while. Now I'm going to just hit it and go. And now I'm going to rest. And so I, I loved it, but it is hard. And it can take its, it does take its toll on people. And I mean, you're also, I get hot and sweaty every day. <laughs> That's not an option. Or I'm really cold or I get rained on and it's not an option. It's going to happen. And then I have to go back in my office and work on my computer, like soaking wet in my chair. No. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, you're outside a lot, which is great, but it can also be a bad thing. And, but I think the travel is what gets a lot of people in this industry and if you're like me and you love that, then this is excellent for you. But if you're not like me and you don't love that, and that seems scary, I mean, that's why we push it, push that fact so hard when we're recruiting, because we don't, we don't want to bring people on who are going to do this for six months and be like, I hate this. We want to bring people on who are amped about it, who are like, who are like me when I heard about it and it was like a kid hearing the ice cream truck it was like oh my gosh I gotta go do that I gotta get the ice cream right now (laughs) (laughs) so that's I mean I'm I'm working in construction like it's hot it's sweaty it's Mm. dirty but I like that so uh, like I said the best things take the most sacrifice and so that's those really are the hardest parts of this yeah uh, I mean yeah that would it's an acquired taste for sure (laughs) um I yeah, don't know if I would be able to do that, but yeah, glad it takes all sorts of people to make the it world really go does. round. It people really keep does. on hearing me say that in these interviews, <laughs> like, wow, that's just so different. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I always say to people in the medical field. I'm like, thank you for being a nurse because I would not do that. <laughs> so thank I would you. never, but thank Correct. you. <laughs> Well, what are some common misconceptions you've run into about ocean engineering? I am not designing a new ocean. I just <laughs> want to set 
if people. you only knew if I, it, it's usually it's very much a, like a dad joke kind of attitude when it's set but I, you know ocean engineers would all hang out together and it's like whenever you go home for a break or something you always meet someone new or you tell someone what you do for the first time or what you're studying when you're in college and they're like oh I didn't know they were designing another ocean you're like I'm oh, not thank you Thanks, so Larry, you, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then other, uh, some other people would be like, oh, so do you play with dolphins every day? I'm like, oh, no, marine biologists only play with dolphins, but <laughs> which is not true, of course. <laughs> they do a lot. But um, no, I think, I think one of the big misconceptions, and this is really about engineering in general, is mm-hmm. like, oh, you must be like crazy good at math, which yeah, that might be true, but not necessarily. Not every engineer that you meet was crazy, just like, you know, the insanely good at math person. But especially with ocean engineering, people just don't have a concept of it in most cases, and especially doing dredging. There's just, if you don't live near the coast and it doesn't, it's very much an out of sight, out of mind industry for people, even though there's no aspect of life that this industry doesn't touch. Because if we don't dredge those ship channels, trade can't happen. National defense can't happen. And this is, I'm kind of just running with this, but this, this has been going on for forever. The, you know, we, we've been dredging, we've been seeking safe harbors as humans for forever. And just to give an example, I was in uh, Turkey a couple years ago and we, I was doing like a, a Bible tour type of thing. We were going to all the sites of the seven churches of Revelation, plus a few. And of course, one is Ephesus. And so we, I was in Ephesus. It was beautiful. It was so cool to be in that history. And they've excavated a lot of it. And there's a theater, the theater where Paul was when the Ephesians started chanting, Artemis of the Ephesians, Artemis of the Ephesians. Like we were sitting in that theater And that theater is at the end of Harbor Road, or maybe Harbor Avenue. If you look around when you're in that theater, the harbor is five miles from there. And the lesson spoken to, you know, the rebuke of the Ephesian church in Revelation is that you've lost your love. You're losing your love. And the love is the power of the church because it's God is love and they will know us by our love. And so uh, what was related to that was the Ephesians understood at that time a loss of power or a threat to power because their harbor was filling in. I mean, it's five miles away from where it was now. That was a threat to their trade, food supplies, all of that. That was a threat to their security, uh, to lives, because there are always people seeking to do harm. And they were worried about their harbor filling in. And so dredging has been important for forever. Marine construction and and coastal construction has been important and will always be important. This industry is not going away. We were essential through the COVID thing. We didn't stop. This is important. And it's, uh, there's really good job security with it. Let me tell you. But I mean, at the time when I was in Ephesus, we, my company alone had four dredges in the Mississippi and, the Army Corps of Engineers, who manages our, our waterways, they had actually moved some of our dredges from other projects so that we could go do this emergency work. 
I've also been sent up to Maine to do an emergency dredging because one of our naval, a naval vessel had gone in to go to shipyard and it was time for it to sail back out and there were some high places in the river oh, no. and it might run aground. So we had to go dredge that out. So this is, this is a, a huge part of society that people just don't realize. And so more than mis misconceptions, people just, it's out of sight, out of mind for people. That is so fascinating. The ethicist example, it really blows my mind. I mean, that, I'm, I mean, do you know if that was one of the main reasons why trade died there mm -hmm. and civilization, <laughs> here we go, I could say this, civilization shifted. Mm -hmm. That was a difficult was. little combo of words right there. Yeah, um, civilization but, yeah. shifted. Yeah, that is kind of <laughs> And so it's it, so it really amazing was, for yeah. you to tie in that relevance for mm -hmm. why this is so needed and it is yes. really interesting how lesser known it is but how strongly felt uh, it would be if mm -hmm. the work weren't being done exactly um, and so. that's kind of the maritime industry in general like especially especially before I was in the industry I didn't think about ships sailing around constantly there's always ship the shipping uh, happening with trade and defense and all of that. And I mean, this isn't a secret. I'm not giving away any secrets that we have to dig our rivers. Every nation with a navigable waterway yeah. cares about dredging and cares about their, their ports and their terminals and all of that. So I think, you know, people just miss this industry. And the thing is, it doesn't just take, I mean, like we were saying earlier, it doesn't just take engineers to make society go. It doesn't just take engineers to make the maritime industry go. If you are listening to this and you are thinking, wow, this sounds really cool, but I'm never going to be an ocean engineer or an engineer at all, uh, which we hire, by the way, we hire different types of engineering for my position. Ocean is just one of the things that we hire to build our team. But I mean, we, ha we employ lawyers, and HR representatives. We have an IT department. We have business developers, and uh, I think we use marketers at least. So if you want to be a part of this industry, it's not only for engineers, and it's not only for ocean engineers. You can find your path into this and be a part of it, because when we dredge those ship channels, it takes everyone from the oiler on the dredge to the guy, you know, sitting in the chair swinging the dredge, to me doing the surveying on the boat and processing it to our office, making sure that everything's running smoothly, to our safety uh, officers who are, you know, making sure that we have everything that we need and, and equipping us to be, to work safely. So we, we need a lot of skills and abilities in this industry. So it, it can really be anyone. That's so cool to hear. And this kind of ties into a question that I always like to ask, which is if someone's listening and they're interested in pursuing mm. a career like yours, but let's say they're not the high school student or the college student that still has sway over choosing or changing their major, and maybe they're a bit hesitant, maybe they're kind of mid-career or somewhere, anywhere past their uh, undergraduate education, and maybe they're hesitant mm -hmm. to go back, what are their options are there any options or how close can they get to your type of role with minimal going back for school or is that yeah. possible at all 
Absolutely. I think of, I can think of two other women that I work with. One uh, was, I, I believe her degree was in geology. She fills a similar role to to what I do. Very, her name's also Hannah, but she uh, is really great with contracts and stuff and has good verbal skills. So she's been able to use her understanding of soils to move into the dredging realm and be very successful in it. There's another woman that I work with who I, I think her undergrad was me, like her four-year degree was maybe biology, but then she went and did a two-year associate's degree that was heavy in marine surveying, underwater sonar surveying, which is something that we do every day. And she's been very successful uh, in our survey department and, and as a field engineer surveying and processing that data. And we have to, so just if, if you are listening to this and you don't know what aquatic surveying is like, <laughs> you get on a boat and you have a sonar transducer that sends pulses of sound, you know, acoustic pulses into the water. And that's how we map the the riverbed or the ocean floor and that's what, how we can tell the dredge oh you need to go dig over here more oh. um, so she actually I think her program was I don't know the school but it was in Wilmington North Carolina so you can actually get into the technical side with just a little bit more uh, experience or if you want if you're a surveyor we have professional surveyors and that's that doesn't take as much schooling as engineering if you're already out doing things I mean we just need people who are willing to jump into this and learn this. If you already know how to do construction, well, you can probably figure out how to do marine construction. So if you're like looking to make a pivot, you always, this industry is open and you can find your way in, whether it's with Manson doing dredging and marine construction, or if you go into like port management, I mean, you have to manage the, the ships coming and going out of port and what you have space for and who can bring their goods and store it there and then how to get it on the railroad to get it somewhere else, you know, to central America, to the center, center parts so of America. Supply so. chain oriented. Like I studied supply chain and I, <laughs> one of my classes, it was all about like the Panama Canal and mm -hmm. the ship sizes and the, and the FTE units. I think that's what they're called. Who, who knows? Didn't mm -hmm. use my major one day in my life. Um, <laughs> But, oh my gosh, I treasured this conversation. And oh. to round out, I would mm. love to hear, I feel like you're going to have a really good one for this. Mm. Uh, what is a nugget of career advice that, in reflecting on your own journey, you've kind of seen stand out that you would like to share with the listeners? Do the small things well. Mm. So if it, it really goes back to biblical commands too, is work as though working unto the Lord and not to man. That means that my accountability is not to my boss or to Manson, it's to God. <laughs> That's a much mm -hmm. higher authority. And it, it's if you're entrusted with a small amount, then you do well with it, then you'll be entrusted with more. And I think this has really played out, uh, especially recently in my career, because I take a lot of notes in meetings, mm -hmm. like a lot of notes, pages of notes. I will write down everything that is said, put stars next to action items, all of that. And so I, you know, when I joined this team to build this project, those early meetings, I would take notes and I'd type them up and send them out uh, with the action items, just like, hey, don't want anyone to forget. And so I was doing that, doing that, doing that without being asked. And it was a small thing, uh, relatively to you know all the things that were going on 
And then it came time to start having our weekly coordination meetings with, with our client, the Port of Port Arthur. And I went to my project and manager, my project manager, Bob, and kind of timidly, I was like, hey, um, can, I, can I go to that meeting? I'd really, I'd like to go to that meeting. And he, he goes, yes with that notepad of yours. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. And I started to walk away and he kind of called back at me. He goes, next time come in here and tell me you're going to that meeting. It's like, yes, sir. Yes. So doing the small things is, is huge. And, and that's what I, I tell, especially engineers who are still in school, who are getting ready to do internships or go into their first job. And for us, I mean, part of my job is sailing the trash from the dredge to shore and putting it in the dumpster. Like I sling trash as part of my job as with an engineering degree. And if you get uppity and you're like, I have an engineering degree, I'm not gonna take trash out, I'm not gonna sling trash. Like you lose respect real fast. Yes. You are not too good to carry trash. You can do anything. I have seen my vice presidents sling trash because you have to do the little things. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, I don't want to ever see it and, and I don't want for myself to ever get pigeonholed into always taking care of the little detail things that don't actually advance my knowledge or advance my career, but that's kind of where it starts. And if you're willing to do the little things and you do them well, you might be trusted with more and then do the big things well from that, but just, you know, don't neglect those small things. Yes. Oh gosh. That is where respect is built and you gain so much rapport with yes. people around you. Yeah, Gosh. and especially with, with the industry. I mean, I, I don't just work with engineers. I work with the people turning the wrenches. And if, especially with them, when they're out there sweating, they are out there working. And my job is just to make sure that they have everything that they need to continue doing their work. So I'm more of a, in a support role so that they can, can actually build what we're building. And when they see you do, when they see you willing to sling trash, that gives you a better rapport with them because they're like, oh, it's not just an engineer who, or a white hat who thinks she's better than us. Because I don't. Mm -hmm. I recognize their value. They recognize my, my value. We are a team to get this done. And it's those small things that can really take people farther than they think. Well said. I completely endorse this <laughs> message. Yes. Hannah, thank you so much. This has been such a blast. And I wouldn't be surprised if I chopped this up later into like mini episodes, like how to choose a major in engineering, because it was so, hey. so helpful. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. broke down all of that. And I love hearing your passion for this field. And mm. I'm glad that you're doing it. You know, glad that there's people at you doing like you doing work like you do. There we go. Hey, <laughs> Words I'm again. glad that this work exists because it really does bring me joy. Well, praise God for all that. Praise God. Thank you so much, Kelsey. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make 
satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the Job Library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other bingeable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.